This is Kansas Talk with Andy Hoosier on the Big Talker KQAM. Hey, happy Saturday morning to you. Welcome into Kansas Talk right here on the Big Talker, 1480 AM and 1025 FM KQAM. It's a Saturday. It's a cold Saturday, and it's snowing outside. The heck, man. It's like Christmas time all over, but I guess it is the beginning of February, which is the coldest month of the year, really, before we start seeing a little bit of springtime. So I guess we can suffer through the shortest month of the year when it comes to snow. I'm okay with snow as long as I'm on a snowboarding mountain. Outside of that, I'm not okay with a whole lot of snow. Welcome into the show. Great to have you along today for a Saturday, kicking off your weekend as we do every single weekend right here on the Big Talker KQAM. All presented by Phil's Coins, 9344 West Central Avenue, buying, selling, and trading with honesty and integrity for all your gold and silver needs. It's Phil's Coins. Uh, they're open at 9.30 and about 20 minutes from now. They're open until 2.30 this afternoon. You can also visit them online at philscoins.com. Boy, do we have a lineup for you today. A massive show. I don't think I've ever had so many guests on one program. So we're going to try and ram through as much of them as we possibly can, both local and some stuff that I thought was relatively interesting uh, for the program. Coming up in about 10 minutes, I want to play an interview we recorded earlier this week. He was kind of uh, kind of an intriguing guest. It was Lieutenant Colonel Jason Barber with the U.S. Army Reserve here in Kansas as they talk about their new H2F holistic health program for the military. But it's not just for the military. You can do it as well, and you can get information on it. I know it's still kind of your New Year's resolution to try and like be healthy and get back into shape and you know eat proper. And they're working on the military, trying to reform the way that they actually do things with their mind, body, sleep, and spirit. And that's what they do with their new H2F holistic health program for the military. And we'll talk with Lieutenant Colonel Jason Barber here in just a little bit. Plus, there was an, a, a new study that came out about uh, cars, vehicles, you driving your vehicle. How long have you had your vehicle? And this might be of interest to both just you and maybe car dealerships in the area as well, as there are many individuals apparently in the Wichita area that hold on to their vehicles for anywhere from 8 to 15 years. So uh, we talked with the analyst at iccars.org, Carl Brower, and he's going to join us and talk to us about uh, the length of uh, length of time that individuals hold on to their cars in the Wichita market. So I found that kind of interesting. In the 10 o'clock hour, I'm really excited because this is going to be a heck of an hour. We're going to be talking live with City Council Member Jeff Bluebaugh. I don't know if you've been hearing some of the shenanigans going on with the City Council and the child mayor that we have here in the city of Wichita, uh, uh, Brandon Whipple, as they had their... Uh, what was it? It was some kind of retreat they had a week or two ago when it came to the integrity of elected officials. And this, of course, probably coming after James Clendenin and that whole issue. But it kind of escalated. And the child mayor that we have ended up throwing papers around and throwing a fit and apparently abusing and screaming in the back. And, you know, now he's not liking the media reporting what he does with his pack. So it's a lot of issues. So we're going to have City Council Member Jeff Bluebaugh coming on the program live at 10 o'clock. Uh, to kick off hour number two. And just a few days ago, and we played it on our national program with The Voice of Reason, we sat down with U.S. Senator Roger Marshall for the state of Kansas, and we'll talk with him, and we'll play that interview wrapping up the show today at 10.30. So a lot to get to and a heck of a lot of interviews, but I do want to leave time for you as well uh, for the open line to 316-721-8255. 316-721-TALK to spend a wild week in the state of Kansas, both with COVID-19 cases, a rise in COVID-19 deaths in the state of Kansas. What the heck? 
Uh, I saw the story just a day or two ago that the first child has passed away in the state of Kansas, unfortunately, from COVID-19. What was it, six or seven years old, which is interesting. So we'll talk about that and see why that actually happened. Plus, Governor Laura Kelly trying to revamp and talk about her new uh, Commerce Department strategic plan to uh, economic development in the state, what it actually entails and what the heck. So we'll talk about that. Plus, we have the bill that she also tried to propose that I really want to get your thoughts on. Wanting to legalize marijuana in the state of Kansas for the purpose of funding Medicaid expansion. Uh, Does this mean that she's actually admitting and realizing that she's not going to get federal funds for Medicaid expansion if we expand Medicaid in the state of Kansas? And is that the reasoning that we should try and legalize marijuana either recreationally or medicinally? So I want to get your thoughts on that and talk about that here in just a little bit because I find that fascinating, trying to tie the two together and trying to win over some by legalizing marijuana but then using it for the Medicaid expansion that's probably going to deter some individuals, but then try and win over some as well. So all kind of interesting. And, of course, we had the Kansas Department of Labor this week that shut down their website for a good few days trying to stop the fraudulent claims. They say they've stopped nearly 1 million bots and fraudulent claims coming into the Department of Labor's website already, but people are still not able to get their money and if they're trying to file for claims, then they're still struggling. So although they say they've caught up and paid out, I don't know if that's the case, but they say that's the case. So open line to you. There's a lot to get to today. 316-721-8255, 316-721-TALK. I don't know that we're going to get to all of it, but we're sure going to try and do our darndest. I want to start off with our H2F program, the holistic health from the military. We sat down just a couple days ago with Lieutenant Colonel Jason Barber and what he had to say on the new H2F program in the military that you can use as well to try and heal your mind, body, and soul with more rest, with proper eating and proper exercise, and what the military is doing to kind of revamp theirs rather than just being screamed at and doing crunches and push-ups all day and all night. This is what he had to say with Lieutenant Colonel Jason Barber from the U.S. military. Lieutenant Colonel Jason Barber with us. Lieutenant, how are you, my friend? I'm good. How are you doing, I'm Andy? I'm doing great. Thank you for your service. We appreciate uh, you coming on the program and what you guys do. Let's talk about the really a new health program that's coming out for the military that really anybody can use, but why the change in health right now? What's going on? Yeah, so, you know, we, we know that uh, over the last 20 years, life has been hard for us in the military. Um, so having taken a holistic approach uh, and knowing that the soldier is the Army's most valuable asset, we've created the Holistic Health and Fitness Program. It's the Army's primary investment to soldier readiness, performance, and overall effectiveness. So really, no more running, push-ups, and just sit-ups, but more of a real holistic athlete approach to fitness. And what we can do for our citizen soldiers of the Army Reserve is we're going to empower and equip them to be able to take charge of their own health and fitness. And this, in turn, will hopefully increase their performance, and then, in turn, for the Army, will decrease injury rates and disease rates. I like that idea. That's a really good thing. Now, the new program that's called H2F, uh, to talk about it, is it like the physical stuff? As you mentioned, no more just push-ups and crunches, which, you know, I kind of miss seeing that in the movies. And, you know, the drill sergeant yelling and screaming at you doing the push-ups and crunches in the middle of the rainstorm kind of thing. Uh, But there's more to it. Is it just the physical side? Is it the dietary side with eating? Is it a combo of both? What's it entail? Sure, yeah, um, absolutely. It is that truly that holistic approach, right? So... I think it's best, you know, if we we pair them to tactical athletes, much like I train Olympic athletes, they don't get on the podium by just doing physical training. The H2F system, it's going to incorporate both physical, mental, spiritual, nutritional, 
and sleep training. Now, as you mentioned, for everyone and for people that are in the Army Reserve, this is going to be a big cultural shift. But I think once they start to understand that it's a mind, body, spirit mentality, you're going to see changes that are in the positive for their entire careers. I really like that. And the fact that you mentioned not just the physical side, but the mental and the spiritual side, how important is that third aspect of the spiritual side to do this, to kind of bring everything all and tie, in, tie it together? Well, you know, it's just one of the pillars uh, that, that makes that foundation strong. Um, you know, soldiers are going are gonna to learn personal and philosophical uh, teachings, and they're going to be able to incorporate that into their own beliefs, through their own faith. Um, they're going to be able to have that throughout their entire, the duration of their career, and it's going to be embedded into all the schools uh, or all the curriculum that we do as officers and enlisted soldiers. That's amazing. I really love it. Now, one of the aspects that you mentioned as well is proper sleep. I know that that's usually not a focus, especially when it comes to, you know, the health of just, you know, the bodybuilder trying to go to the weight weight room and trying to work out as much as possible, trying to do the mental fitness or even the spiritual. But the sleeping aspect of it is something that's a little bit new that I'm usually not used to hearing when it comes to health plans. Talk about that aspect and how important that is. Yeah, so we know that chronic sleep deprivation starts to increase fatigue and insomnia, sort of like, I haven't slept, so now I can't sleep. This starts to have people make mistakes, illnesses, injuries. Um, those are all associated with sleep. And so really, if you, you, know, you try to tie that into, well, I'm not training hard enough, so that's why I had an injury, it's really that, it really is that holistic approach. So sleep, physical, mental, spiritual, and then eating right as well um, is, is, is all part of the program. And, uh, and that falls into that sleep question that you sort of talked about as well. I like it. We're talking with Lieutenant Colonel Jason Barber with the new H2F Holistic Health Program for not just the military, but for you as well. Give us a little sneak peek about some of the dietary stuff. Is it like a diet, you know, like everybody talks about the keto diets? Is it taking a lot of vitamins? Is it trying to get rid of the, the fatty bar food or the burgers and wings that I really enjoy and have a hard time getting rid of? I mean, what's, uh, what's the diet look like? Sure. You know, as we sort of mentioned, we are in the Army Reserve we're going to launch a pilot program that's going to kind of tell us how we're going to be able to get to, you know, those more than 200,000 citizen soldiers that are out there across the United States. Um, and, and, and it's really going to be about coaching, training, and educating so that, so that those soldiers are going to make the right choices, not necessarily giving them an, every single soldier an individualized meal plan, but allowing them the ability and the know-how to make the right choices. Sure. Here's the big question, and I hear this a lot from different weightlifters, you know, people that maybe go into sports with football or the MMA or something as well, but when it comes to breaking down the body and weightlifting, working out, going to the gym, can you do that too much? Can you tear down your muscles too much and not allow time for the regeneration and the rebuilding of that? But uh, as you mentioned with injuries, uh, are, can people work out too much to where they actually don't see the benefits from this? You know, um, on on the strength coaching level, that answer for you would be about an hour long. And so, <laughs> I, I think I think you know, going back to sort of, you know, what we've been talking about this holistic health and fitness system, where we are going to coach, train, educate, and mentor. That's going to allow the soldier and empower the soldier to be able to make those decisions for themselves. They're going to find out, hey, I'm sore two, three days after a workout, and with that education and coaching. They're going to know that, hey, maybe, maybe I'm pushing a little too hard. 
Maybe I need to hit more of these other facets of the H2F system like nutrition or spirituality or the mental aspect of it and, and make that my workout for the day. So I like that. I like that. Last couple of questions before we let you go. But is this this new program, this new holistic program, obviously for the military, but with the citizen soldier as well, really anybody, is there, I mean, does it cover anybody, any kind of age group, any type of weight class, anybody that really wants to lose the weight or maybe is a little bit older but wants to try and get back into shape but may have some health problems? This is really for anybody to help kind of get back on track, isn't it? I mean, it, it can be, uh, and, it, and it certainly isn't going to be some top-secret document, but really to get the full benefit of it, you, you know, you go to www.usar.army.mil and you join up, and sure. then you're going to have all the benefits of the Army Reserve and that citizen-soldier aspect. Um, so that, that's one place that you can go to find out more about the reserves itself. But then if you want to know more about the H2F system and our new fitness test, going to www.army.mil forward slash ACFT or Army Combat Fitness Test. Um, that'll tell you a little bit more, more about what we're talking about today. The Army Combat Fitness Test. I took one of those once, and I struggled all the way through that. So there is that one. So kudos to you guys actually making it through all of that <laughs> stuff. It's Lieutenant Colonel Jason Barber. We appreciate the time very much, my friend. I'm so glad you guys are coming out with this and getting the information out so people can start living a happy, healthier life and doing it in a holistic way, which is def definitely needed in society. Uh, Lieutenant, we appreciate the time very much, my friend. We're excited as well. Thanks for having us. I there, appreciate it. There it is. Also, Lieutenant Colonel Jason Barber with the U.S. Army Reserves, and we appreciate the time with him very much. The Holistic Health uh, Program for the Military and for you, H2F program that you can find with the U.S. Army Reserves. I find that kind of fascinating. And if we continue, if you've already given up on your New Year's resolution of, I want to eat healthy and get back into shape, then now's the time that you can kind of revamp that and keep it going in your lifestyle. Because why the heck would you give up just after a month? What the heck, man? All right, we're going to take a break. Got a lot to get to when I come back. Open lines to you at 316-721-8255, 316-721-TALK. I want your thoughts on that. Plus, the idea that Governor Kelly has proposed in the state, should we legalize marijuana for the purpose of expanding Medicaid and using those funds, the retail sales, the uh, sales tax uh, revenue from the marijuana in the state of Kansas to expand the Medicaid funds. We'll talk about that when we come back with some phone calls from you right here on the Big Talker KQAM. Twenty-three minutes past the hour. Welcome back into Kansas Talk right here on the Big Talker KQAM Radio. We don't have the live streaming today. Facebook Live still not allowing us to do so, as I have been banned from live streaming on KQ or on Facebook for who knows how long. It's been about a month now, so you think they'd actually let me out? But nope, nope, can't do that. So until then, you can still find us on the TuneIn app. You can find us at KQAMRadio.com. Also on the AM and FM. Right here, all presented by Phil's Coins, 9344 West Central Avenue. They're about ready to open up here in just a few minutes until 2.30 this afternoon. Also online at philscoins.com, presenting at Kansas Talk each and every Saturday here on the KQAM Airwaves. All right, so your thoughts. Should we legalize the marijuana for the use of the sales tax to fund Medicaid expansion in the state, according to ABC News, this went national, by the way. This went national as everybody's like, oh, wow, that's a great way to partner up the uh, marijuana advocates in the state because they've been wanting it. And we're one of the last states to not legalize it to some way, shape or form. So we can partner up those people with the ones who want Medicaid expansion. 
According to the governor, quote, I'm hoping this will set aside the political party differences and recognize them both components of this bill. Medicaid expansion and medical legalization are extraordinarily popular among their constituents. A little bit different take from the House Majority Leader Dan Hawkins, who we need to get on the show to talk about this and more. But, quote, Governor Kelly envisions a Kansas where you can choose not to work and taxpayers will foot the bill for you to stay home and smoke supposedly medical marijuana. (laughs) That is not going to be a popular comment for some individuals in the state of Kansas. So let's get your thoughts. Is Number one, it's a two-parter. Should we legalize the marijuana in first? I guess it's a three-part. Should we legalize the marijuana, which has always been a really hot discussion, especially on this program? Number two, should we... Legal, uh, should we expand the Medicaid program? And number three, should we use the sales tax revenue from marijuana to fund the Medicaid expansion? Now, according to the Democrats and Governor Kelly, is that the federal government is going to be funding 90% of the coverage of Medicaid expansion in the state, which they haven't done to any other state that they expanded uh, for their Medicaid programs, but they say they're going to. Even Barack Obama, when he passed Obamacare, said that he would not be able to fund 90% of all the Medicaid expansion across the country if every state ended up uh, passing their expansion of their Medicaid programs within their state. So we have to find the revenue ourselves. Would that be enough to actually do it? And are you a, a proponent of a move like that? Let's go to the phones here, shall we? Line at number one. Good morning. Who's this? This is May. Good morning, May. How are you today? I am very good, Good. and I I will tell you the answer is no to marijuana, and I will tell you why. I have a son who is 64. Uh, When he was a teenager, he smoked smoked marijuana. Now, I know they're talking about medical marijuana, and I know that that can possibly really help, but it seems like when they sneak in medical marijuana, then they say, oh, well, let's just go ahead and do the regular marijuana, and... The, I don't know if the medical is hemp or there is something they they are able to do. And I've seen a program on it. I was very impressed with a child that really, really needed it. But it, somehow, if it, well, I will tell you about my son. When he was 20 and he smoked marijuana, he got schizophrenia. I mean, he was kind of an ADD kid anyway, attention deficit. But you know something? I think this pushed him over the edge. And I and here he's had I mean he's had hallucinations, uh, voices talking, you know all the, it was just horrible. It was so horrible the stuff he went through and we went through. He's on medication now, but he's been on disability ever since. And I I do think it was marijuana. I don't maybe there was something put in it. Maybe maybe but. I think there are people, some people that are highly allergic to it, just like about anything else. And I say no. I just say no. If if they want to go to get medical from the state and order it from a, another state that has that, okay, but no to the medical. And then, you know, and what is so stupid is these kids that take it while well, my uh, cousin was smoking it. And he was working at a, a grocery store, and he thought he was doing a great job, and he was just stalking. And then, but when he got off of it, he thought, "Man, I am doing so much more." Mm. And and think of the accidents and stuff. Yeah, fund Medicare. Yes, yeah, you're going to have more 
you're going to have more need of Medicare if you fund that stupid <laughs> marijuana. That's all there is to it. So not a fan uh, of the marijuana. Now, the expansion of the Medicaid program, would you want to find a different revenue source? Do you want to see the Medicaid expansion happen in the state, or is that a bad idea as well? Well, it's bad if it's hooked to marijuana. It's totally bad. Totally, totally. Leave it alone. Just let it be. I think it seems to be doing fairly well. Uh, with my son, uh, who has to be on Medicare because, you know, he is disabled, disabled. It's sure. just sickening. I mean, he, with the medicine, he does a pretty good job of, of thinking. The, uh, it's uh, no to marijuana, no to marijuana. Let the other states, if they want to provide medical, surely um, we have good, you know, ways to get medicine to people. And, sure. and then, but uh uh-uh. uh, no, no, never, 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 Maddie. No, not no, for no, marijuana. Mm-mm. Not for That's me. That's the way I feel about it. Uh, well, I appreciate yes. it. i got to take a break here, but I'm sorry to hear what your son had to go through and what you guys had to go through as a family. I I, I hope that uh, he's doing all right now. we got to take a break, but uh, I appreciate your thoughts very much on that one, and it's great to hear from you, and you have a wonderful weekend. May we appreciate that very much. Got to take a break. Lots more to get to here on Candace Talk, here on The Big Talker, KQAM. Stay here. Welcome back into Kansas Talk right here on the Big Talker, 1480 AM, 1025 FM, KQAM. It's a Saturday, still kind of a little bit snowy, I guess. Most of it not sticking or anything. We'll see how much we actually get before it clears up this afternoon here in the South Central Kansas area. Great to have you along today for a Saturday morning, 316-721-8255, 316-721-TALK. Open lines to you as we continue on with some of the legislative updates going on in Topeka. We'll get some more legislators on the program next Saturday. I believe we're going to try and get State Representative Blake Carpenter. I want to chat with him as there is some Second Amendment issues going through right now, wanting to lower the concealed carry limit to the age of 18 because you can already purchase a firearm at 18. You can have a gun at 18. You can open carry at the age of 18. You just can't conceal carry at the age of 18. So let's just make that universal across the board. And they're working on that one. Plus, we have... The approval that we talked about last week with the uh, quote-unquote abortion bill taking the power away from the Kansas Supreme Court on the issue of abortion in the state, putting it back in the hands of the legislature that did pass both chambers uh, with enough to go right on your primary ballot in 2022. So uh, that's good news there for individuals, and we'll see what happens next year with that bill, uh, removing it from the quote-unquote protections of the Kansas Constitution and putting it back in the hands of regulation and control in the state legislature. So they've been busy. There's a lot of stuff going on. But right now, there's the latest bill that Governor Kelly has proposed wanting to legalize marijuana for the use of using the sales tax of it to uh, expand the Medicaid program in the state of Kansas. We heard from May last uh, before the break and not a fan of the marijuana thing at all. So and really just thinking that uh, Medicaid is going well. Now, I will say that there's a big backlog on Medicaid from what I've heard and why we've been, why I personally have not been a proponent of actually expanding the Medicaid program. It's way too expensive. There's not enough doctors that take Medicaid. They don't get, the doctors themselves don't get reimbursed a whole lot of money on them, which means the more you people you put onto the program, the more of a backlog there's going to be, the lesser quality there's going to be in the Medicaid program if you try to expand it to allow more people onto it. Now, however you feel about marijuana, which there are Uh, And and it's unfortunate to hear the story uh, that happened there. I can see the benefits of medical marijuana. And I know just, I mean, realistically, realistically in the state of Kansas, if you do uh, move forward with it, you know that they're going to have a very tight lid on it because 
we're not like Oklahoma that's going to be a little more loosey-goosey. We're not going to be like Colorado. I mean, obviously, here in the state of Kansas, they're going to put a very tight. It hasn't gone anywhere. So if it is going to move anywhere, there's going to be a lot of regulation on it. So I, I wouldn't be too terribly worried on where it goes if they do that. Uh, I mean, they talked about the last bill, what was it, two years ago in the state legislature? They talked about legalizing the medical side, but having it only being administered at doctor's offices by doctors in syringes, that sort of thing, as opposed to just uh, being able to get a green card and go and purchase it for medicinal purposes, which is what most states do that usually just opens up to recreational, which some want that as well. And I'm open to that discussion, too. But regardless of how you feel about legalizing or not legalizing marijuana, would you change your mind on it if it was used to fund the expansion of Medicaid? Is kind of an interesting twist as Governor Kelly trying to band together two different groups to try and make both of her ideas happen that she campaigned on as governor, wanting to say that that was going to be her campaign platform and saying that this is hopefully going to be able to rally some of the younger voters in the state of Kansas to be more engaged and active with this issue. So let's go back to the phones, get your thoughts on it here, shall we? 316-721-8255, 316-721-TALK, line number two. Good morning, who's this? Hey, Andy, it's Sean. Sean, what's going on, sir? How are we doing? Oh, man, just having my coffee. Listen, I was going to give you and your stick-to-the-issues crowd a break this morning and not call, but I just had to respond to this topic. Uh, well, it's a it's a big time, and it's interesting how she's, again, these are two things that she campaigned on running for governor in the state, saying that she wanted to legalize marijuana and she wanted to expand Medicaid. That was her big two. Of course, then she was the education uh, governor as well. But combining the two, will it rally enough people to push both of them through? Is this going to damage it? I don't know. Uh, I can tell you that uh, I'm, I'm not necessarily opposed to medical marijuana, okay, um, except my problem with it is it's going to wind up leading to uh, it's going to wind up leading to uh, or leading to, to, to a, a legal recreational use of it. And <clears throat> if that happens, you're not going to see drug dealers going to go away. Okay, because there's uh, they got competition with the government now, so the government's not going to really make any money. And you're going to see more dealers out there on the streets dealing more, more pot just because it is legal. Uh, well, not just because but, it's legal, but because there's going to be taxes attached to it. I mean, if you look at Colorado, that's kind of been the example for for marijuana expansion. Look, I'm not I'm not saying I agree or disagree one way or the other. I'm open to the discussion either way. I, I believe that if it's going to be done, either medically and or recreationally, that it's got to be done a certain way to try and limit the black market. Because what happened in Colorado was they did it, but then they taxed it at like a 300% tax rate. And it was still cheaper to buy from a drug dealer behind the tr- drugstore as opposed to walking in and buying your ounce of marijuana from the store itself. So if you're going to do it, you can't just raise the taxes insanely because you want to spend it on a whole bunch of government projects and programs and then think that you're going to be doing well when you're actually going to be causing more of an issue. So if you're going to do it, it's got to be done smartly and appropriately. And there's a few states that I believe have done it relatively okay, but uh, there's a lot of states that have not done it okay or proficient yet. When the hell does the government ever do anything responsibly? That's the question. Yeah. Uh, oh man, no, no. Uh, here, I, I tell you what. I think the better solution is <clears throat> instead of expanding Medicaid, which is for the poor, right? Well, it's uh, no, it's for the disabled and for the sick individuals. They want to make it for the poor, so that way, uh, it's, uh, lower income individuals can get the health care through the government as well. Well, 
okay, then uh, I'm disabled. And I'm not on Medicare, so I, I got the VA, but uh, in the military. But uh, um, I tell you what, I don't mind conversing about it, but I I just think there's going to be more problems if you legalize this stuff than if you just leave it alone. I mean, to me, it's an issue of morality. And we're going to compromise our morals a little bit. Well, hell, let's just go for broke. Let's compromise all the way. <laughs> why not legalize heroin and cocaine? Yeah. Why not why legalize uh, uh, all the various forms of Ill- illegal pornography that are out there? Sure. You know? Here's, here's uh, the thing, and, I, and I've been very vocal, and you know, as you know, for the years that you've listened to the program, even you know when we did it during the week uh, on the local level, we've talked about the marijuana issue for a long time, and my position has always been that I'm okay with it if it's done the right way, number one, to where we don't increase the size of government just to use it for another revenue source because that's what they're trying to do here. But I'm okay. Look, I don't like marijuana. I don't smoke it. I don't like it. I don't like the smell of it. I don't like the taste of it. It's terrible. I'm just not, that's not my thing. That's not what I do. It's not what I like to do. If people do it, fine. I don't really care if they do it in their basement. But here's the thing. I know that there are benefits to it to some degree in the medical field to help with you know seizures to help with pain management to help with that sort of thing i'm okay with that i'm also okay with it for religious experiences if you look at altars from like 2000 years ago from jewish uh, jewish places they would use uh, marijuana for religious experiences and a lot of people think that a lot of the scripture in the bible was written with some of the things and visions that they saw was because they used certain drugs to be able to communicate with the spirit world or whatever so i'm okay with using it for spiritual enlightenment or for religious purposes as well but just be, because you want to be high all day long you know i guess if that what you if, if that's what you feel is your right that's fine but like you said there's a moral level of you know we need to be functional in society still and you know that doesn't really help us in any way shape or form well, I don't know. What do you okay? Uh, what are you going to have the uh, uh, age limit for somebody? Uh, um, yeah. if, if if it becomes if it becomes medical, <coughs> excuse me. If it becomes medical, it will eventually become recreational because Kansas yes. will wind up all on the lead of other states. Well, and that's okay, what everybody so, does. It's well, a, you you do it once, and you after a while you just can't contain it. So you're like, all right, fine, just do whatever you want to. But but what what's the age limit going to be for someone to legally buy? I mean, you got to be twenty one now to buy tobacco, just like you know you got to be twenty one to buy alcohol, which is really dumb, by the way. Yeah, I know. It's I disagree with it. I wouldn't recommend smoking, but uh, you know that resin that comes from marijuana smoke that's worse for your uh, uh, lungs than the, uh, the than the tar and, and cigarettes. And yet you get people that want to outlaw cigarettes, but legalize marijuana. So how old? You know, if you, if you, well, and, that's, if you and that would that would definitely be something that's going to drag out the process, make it more difficult to even pass legislation like this. My big question is, and I'd really like to hear from a pro marijuana advocate on the show. I'd like to hear if this would change their mind if they want it legalized, but they don't want it to be used just for the purpose of expanding another program. If they want to legalize marijuana, either recreationally or medicinally, but they would change their mind and be like, I don't want it to be used just for a prop to expand your political agenda, which is creating another government program, expanding Medicaid. I'm wondering how many pro-marijuana advocates in the state of Kansas would be like, wait a second, I want it. I just don't want it under these terms or situations. That's what I'm really curious is, will will this unite or will this tear the two groups apart? Well, I I don't know, man. All I can tell you is I'm not opposed to uh, medical marijuana if it helps uh, people with certain uh, 
uh, problems like, uh, you know, glaucoma and uh, uh, the nausea from chemotherapy and the loss of appetite and all that, you know, helps me. <clears throat> I, I know it gives you the munchies, but uh, I lost two friends, two childhood friends from uh, from drugs. One left her husband and her two kids and died in her sleep with her boyfriend a few years ago from a drug overdose, and she started out on marijuana. I had another childhood friend who ruined his military career by marijuana, and he he got shot and killed by the police a few years ago because of schizophrenia due to uh, uh, drugs, and marijuana was what got him started to other stuff, too. So, you know, I'm not very libertarian when it comes to uh, the issue of, uh, of drugs, uh, even marijuana. So I, I could go with medical marijuana. I just don't want it to become, you know, legal and recreational. And, and uh, Interesting. Um, All right. I, I don't want to be uh, getting a contact high off of somebody else either. <laughs> sure. Well, I appreciate that, Sean. I got I got to take a break here, so I I need to move on here. But I appreciate the the comments, and you're right. I, I'm still curious on whether the pro marijuana advocates, which there are a lot in the state of Kansas, and again, I'm open to that as well. Uh, would you change your mind because you don't like it under this circumstance in the state of Ohio? When they tried to legalize it, they tried to legalize it, but you wouldn't be allowed to kind of grow your own. You had to allow large companies to do it, and they didn't like the commercialization that they were doing. And the pro-marijuana advocates shot down the bill in the state of Ohio because they didn't like it under that term. Is that what that's going to do here in the state of Kansas? Well, you can have your marijuana, but we got to use all the tax money and make it really, really expensive in order to fund Medicaid expansion in the state as well. Are they one in the same group in the state? Are they different groups and they would go along with it? Or would they not like those two tied together? I'm really curious uh, on how some would actually take up that issue. Got to take a break. When we come back, I want to shift gears a little bit. And IC Cars, it's a, the analyst for IC Cars, the trending of vehicles here in the state of uh, Kansas and even in the city of Wichita. How long do you keep your vehicle? And is it time to upgrade or what cars are actually working really well for you in the long term? We'll, call, we'll talk with Carl Brower about that issue with IC Cars right here on Candace Talk, right here on the Big Talker KQAM. Stay here. It goes by too fast. Welcome back into the program. Wrapping up about nine minutes left to the top of the hour. Hour number two. We got a heck of a lineup for you. City Council Member Jeff Bluebaugh for the city of Wichita. He'll be joining us along with our interview we did with U.S. Senator Roger Marshall at the bottom of the hour to wrap up the show. Plus, I want to get more of your phone calls as well as it just goes by way too fast each and every weekend. But I want to shift gears a little bit. Great conversation so far. We'll still leave the phones open for you here in just a little bit. But I want to shift gears and talk about your vehicle. How long have you had your vehicle? Is it time for an upgrade and which vehicles are working really, really well for you? We sat down with analyst at iccars.org, Carl Brower, as he saw a trend here in the Wichita area on vehicle ownership and how long people are keeping their cars. And this is what he had to say. And the IC Cars study, it's Carl Brower with us here. Carl, how are you, my friend? I'm doing great. Great to be on with you. Hey, I appreciate you coming on the show very much. Uh, people holding on to their cars before they upgrade them, is it a common thing, or are we in the trend now to where really every one to two years we just kind of upgrade to the latest and greatest? People are keeping them longer as a, as a general rule, both because the cars keep being you know, more durable and better built, but also because new cars, in case you haven't noticed, and even used cars are going up in price. Uh, you know, used car prices are up 10 plus percent in the last year. And new car prices, they're trending toward almost $40,000 for the average new car transaction price. 
Wow, I didn't realize it was going up that much. Uh, but it makes sense when it comes to the quality. I mean, they have the new fancy features to where you can get the latest technology to be comfortable. But as you mentioned, where the quality when it comes to the durability, the lasting of them. I mean, you can't really beat a 1980s pickup truck that can last forever where it's easy to work on. You can replace things easily, and it could essentially run for hours, whereas now you kind of have a microchip that if the computer chip goes out, you really need to go, get a whole new vehicle. Are people starting to realize this? That's exactly what they're realizing, that that you know there was this kind of like we're kind of flattening out right like the, the the amount of time the average car would last in the 20s and 30s was at one level and then by the 50s and 60s another level and then in the 80s and 90s and really for the past 20 plus years it's become a pretty a pretty stable thing you know we're getting a pretty stable level of time that these vehicles last and it's a long time that's interesting now what's the average length that people are hanging on to their cars for or to, you know are trying to at least hold on to their older cars before they're kind of forced to upgrade so that's what's interesting is that the average person is switching cars usually between seven and eight uh, years in, but around like 6% of people will keep them for 15 plus years. 6.1% of people will keep their car for at least 6.1%, uh, uh, sorry, or at least 15 years, 6.1% of people will do that. What this study shows are people who are doing it like over twice. There's people who are keeping their cars the, there's over twice the percentage of people that are keeping certain cars, which means those cars obviously are showing extreme durability and there's a loyalty from the owner that just wants to keep driving them well past 15 years. Wow, 15 years, that's amazing. Now, what are some of those cars yeah. making models? I've heard of different stories where someone will hit you know, 500,000 or even a million miles and the, the dealer or the company will just be like, here's a new car because you're awesome for driving it for that long. And you're right, there is kind of an emotional attachment to it when you've driven it for that long. But what are some of the biggest makes and models of vehicles that can actually last that long with that durability? So on a national level, uh, 13.7% of Prius owners have kept their car for 15 plus years, uh, which is really amazing when you think about it too, because that car in the form that most people recognize, it didn't come out until 2004. There was a 2001, 2002, 2003 version, but it was a Japanese model import that really didn't look good. It was tiny. And, uh, then it was redesigned specifically with an American uh, consumer in mind in 2004, and people have been keeping that one. Uh, Obviously, you know, for 15 years, there's a lot of people who bought that first year, or maybe second year, 2004, 2005 Prius, and they still have it. 13.7% wow. of them, actually. Yeah. That's amazing. Now, some of the, it sounds like a lot of the foreign vehicles, I mean, Honda, Toyota, I've heard rumors that they're relatively stable. I've yet to own any of those because I've always been, uh, I guess, the, the branding of buying American sort of thing. But it seems like a lot of the durability is coming from some of the foreign vehicles, is it not? It is. You know, you look at the list of the vehicles that people are keeping longest, and there's a lot of uh, a lot of import cars on the national level. Uh, seven of the top 10 are Toyotas. And then uh, right there in the Wichita area, uh, it's the Honda Odyssey, as you mentioned, 10.5% of their owners are keeping it for 15 plus years. And then it's the Hyundai Santa Fe, Toyota Highlander, Toyota Tacoma, and Honda CRV. So you have three, three brands represented in the top five for your local area, and they're all import. That's really fascinating for sure. Now, if they're keeping them for 15 plus years, I mean, what's the average mileage on those vehicles when they finally trade them in? I mean, we got to be pushing probably three, four, five hundred thousand miles, aren't we? Yeah. I mean, if you've got a 15,000 year old car, some people may be doing the, you know, hardly ever driving it thing. And then maybe they're getting rid of it, you know, or maybe they're at 15 years and they're still under 100 to 200. But some of these have to be at 15 years, well over 200,000. Now, when it comes to maybe the car dealerships in the area that are looking at this and looking at some of these stats, uh, does that change the way that maybe 
uh, dealerships are uh, trying to reach out to new public or reach out to the demographic or reach out to potential car uh, people wanting to buy cars? I mean, how do they adapt to this information when they find something that's really working for them like this and try to keep it as long as possible? Are they kind of changing their sales approaches here as well? Well, that's what's interesting, right, is is the good news, bad news for the car companies, right? If you're Toyota and you're making these cars last so long, how are you getting new people in to buy your cars when you come out every year? Uh, Same for the dealers, as you mentioned. How do they get people to come in when their car keeps lasting so long? Uh, Of course, don't forget a couple things. First of all, dealers make actually a lot of their profit and money on service. So if you've got a 15-year-old Toyota and you keep going back to that same Toyota dealer, he's probably not going to complain too much that you haven't bought a new car because they actually have a higher profit margin on their service. So it's not too bad a deal for them. Uh, but also, when you see lists like this and, and all the lists that relate to this, if you're keeping a car like this, that means it's not breaking. That means that it's holding up well in the used car value fence. That means that it's going to rank high on all these depreciation lists, which Toyotas do. They consistently rank high in terms of their depreciation. And that means when other people are buying new cars and they see all this information, they think, maybe I'm going to buy a Toyota. Look how long people keep them, according to IC cars, on this 15-plus year list. Look at how well they do on depreciation. These all come together, and they make Toyotas look really good, both new and used. And that's a good thing for Toyota dealers and manufacturers. Yeah, absolutely. And as you mentioned, I mean, they do try to uh, manipulate and at least change or evolve a little bit when it comes to more of their service departments for uh, different car dealerships to be able to stay in business there. Last question before we let you go, and I appreciate the time very much, but because of them hanging out for so long like that, is there maybe a push from the auto industry to try and to try and change that? Are they proud of it? Or as you mentioned, because they're not selling as many cars because people are hanging on to them for so long, are they going to make it maybe more difficult to get some of the equipment or some of the replacement parts for these vehicles so that way individuals are kind of forced to upgrade uh, over the next few years here? You know, there's a requirement, I think a federal law, that you have to support a vehicle for 10 years after its manufacturer date in terms of uh, parts. And it's interesting. I've had enough specialized cars to know that that's the theoretical thing. The truth is sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. But um, generally speaking, the manufacturers are going to want to keep their current owners happy. And if there's a sense, you know, we've heard this from what, like Apple, right? About they potentially slowing down phones that were otherwise working fine to try to get you to buy new ones. And that didn't work out real well when that came out. So I think manufacturers, generally speaking, are going to try to keep consumers happy, even the ones who are keeping the cars forever, just to keep them loyal to the brand and to make sure they're telling all their friends and family, look at how great this car is and how long it lasts and how good a support I'm getting from someone like Toyota. I love it. Fascinating stuff. Your personal preference, do you like the new and improved stuff or do you like uh, going back to the old real well, given that I just drove halfway across the country from Mason City, Iowa, in a uh, uh, 1988 Firebird Formula 350, <laughs> you you know that I've got a certain amount of car geekiness that keeps me going back to the uh, to the used car well. But I also am hugely impressed by the technology and safety and advanced uh, features that modern cars have. It's very impressive. I love it. Good stuff. Executive analyst for IC Cars at Study, Carl Brower. Well, Carl, we appreciate the time very much, my friend. Great being on with you, Andy. You take care. There it is. That was a kind of an interesting conversation. We appreciate Carl Brower Brower coming on the program, talking about the vehicles. I have to admit, I can't wait to get my new and improved vehicle once I do my Dave Ramsey hoopty thing and pay off all my debts, and then I can get a brand new one. Until then, I'll keep rocking the hoopty, but I love it. New technology, new things growing, and the adaptation, the evolution of the auto industry is quite fascinating to see how people respond to the new cars coming out all the time. All right, hour number two of Candace Talk coming up right around the corner here on KQAM. Stay tuned. This is Kansas Talk with Andy Hoosier on the Big Talker KQAM.
Welcome back into Kansas Talk, hour number two of Kansas Talk, broadcasting live right here on the Big Talker, 1480 AM, 102.5 FM, KQAM, here on a Saturday morning as it's overcast. We saw a little bit of snow flurries a bit ago. Who knows how long that'll last? Welcome to February, I guess. Great to have you along, trying to kick off your Saturday morning the best way we do each and every week right here in South Central Kansas. All presented by Phil's Coins, 9344 West Central Avenue. For your buying, selling, and trading with honesty and integrity for all your gold and silver needs. They are officially open. They're open until 2.30 this afternoon at 9344 West Central Avenue. Also online at philscoins.com. We may have him on briefly next week as they are getting set for a coin and stamp show, which I know is very fascinating. So we'll talk about that. I, I love them. They're really cool. I went to one and spent some cool money and got a couple ancient coins and had some goodies there. So it's really neat if you've ever wanted to experience something like that. But like he says, always just take cash and set a budget because you will go way over budget is with all the cool stuff that you'll actually get. We'll talk more about that next week here on the program. Heck of a first hour here on the program as well. We had some great conversations, some great guests, and we're going to keep it rolling here in hour number two. Coming up at the bottom of the hour, we're going to play our interview with U.S. Senator Roger Marshall that we did earlier this week as he's talking about the impeachment hearings, all the different committees that he's on, getting involved in the Ag Committee in Washington, D.C. So look forward to playing that interview here, wrapping up this hour. But first, I don't know how much of the conversation you've been following from the Wichita City Council. It's kind of been a mess. Just a little bit, as they had a retreat just a couple weeks ago, and it kind of blew out of proportion a little bit, and the mayor, Brandon Whipple, got just a little upset about some of the things uh, being said there, and it's just kind of snowballed from there, so I'm excited to have on the program to talk all about this issue, plus some other things as well going on in the city of Wichita. Excited to have on here City Council Member Jeff Blueball with us. Jeff, how are you, my friend? Great, Andy. How are you doing this morning? I'm doing great. It's good to have you on the program. I appreciate it very much. You guys you guys have had some fun lately. What do you say? Well, it hadn't exactly been fun, but, um, you, you know, we, we have so many issues with the city right now, how to get through the COVID, how to get people back to work. Um, mm-hmm. We've got the biggest expansion going on in Delano in 100-year history, buildings going up everywhere, trying to get the ballpark open. And the mayor's number one focus is ethics reform. Yeah, it's strange. Now, I'm assuming the ethics reform and the ethics uh, retreat came after James Clendenin ended up stepping down that whole issue. Is that where this conversation began? No, actually, this was a campaign promise that the mayor had uh, had made. He, he, you know, he ran on a ticket of transparency and ethics reform and and this is something we've been discussing um, for for about a year now. The mayor took it upon himself to author an ethics policy. Um, you know, we've had some minor contributions, but this is this is mostly mostly his his project for the most part. You know, um, we, I think we, I, I think it's appropriate to say we've we've had some ethical misconduct, but in the big picture, those that have been accused of things, I think. The, 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 the system has worked. Voters mm-hmm. have, have either voted them out or they've resigned. It, you know, I, I, I believe in the power of the voters still. But this system that we've got set up now, it, it's, it's very biased. Um, I guess the big issues I have with it, you know, I, I will say that one thing that I've noticed, we need a stronger ethics policy now, especially sure. with the bad behavior of the mayor that we've witnessed here lately. 
Yeah, it's wild to see his response to this. I mean, to me, I've been, you know, at the little tongue in cheek of calling him the man, uh, the man child mayor, because I mean, the way he's been acting with some of this, I mean, for those that may not have been following during the ethics retreat and talking about ethics and the leadership qualities of an elected official, which is something that, as you mentioned, needs to happen. You had brought up some of the just the vicious, vile attacks that uh, some on the other side of the aisle have had that have been followers of Brandon Whipple and and things that have gone on on that side of the aisle. And he didn't like that very much. Ended up throwing papers around, walking out, apparently just cussing you out in the back rooms. I mean, it, it took it to a whole new level, which is the exact, uh, uh, I guess, way the, the, the way you're supposed to act or way you're not supposed to act, exactly what you guys were talking about in that meeting with ethics and the way you should handle yourself as an elected official. You're, and you're absolutely right. It's just, it's just, unfortunately, it's this thing I think we're seeing nationally. It's do as I say, not as I do. It, 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 it's, it's very unfortunate. I'm, I'm the longest serving member on the council now. This is my eighth year. I, I you know, we're, we're nonpartisan. I, I've worked fine with former Mayor Carl Brewer, worked fine with former Mayor Longwell. Mm-hmm. I've worked fine with all my colleagues. We really don't have the big partisan issues however we have a mayor now that publicly says we're a partisan board um i guess my big issues on the ethics policy i want to see an ethics policy that's not authored by the mayor or not any one person you know i'd I'd like to see some best practices out there i don't like a an ethics policy where he appoints the chair and then the jury so to speak is made up of a majority of mayoral mayoral appointees and then he wants to exempt his own pack you know he, he, he really got upset with me that i you know he wants us to count coffees keep track of of anytime somebody buys us a lunch but look the other way that i've got a thirty-eight thousand dollar um campaign pack that i formed immediately after i was elected immediately after he he um ran on a ticket of transparency and i i think the public wanting some questions answered now. Well, I'm glad you brought that up because that's kind of where this has gone to. It started off with the ethics issue and just calling out some of the behavior of the other side of the aisle on social media and other places that really caused a stir. And now, you know, he's upset with how, you know, you called him out, how other people have called him out. He's angry about that. You know, he's threatened to cut off certain media because of some of the comments. But now it's kind of escalated to the point of the pack that he runs as well that, as you mentioned, he started after getting elected. And talk about where did this pack come from? What is he doing with this pack? And why is this now an issue? That's, and, and he's upset, by the way, that some of the media is starting to catch on to the pack that he's running as well and what this is all entailing. So, unfortunately, I think the public's starting to see a taste of what, what we've dealt with with under his leadership of being mayor. You know, I, I think he's, he, he, he bullies his way around. He bullies his way around with counsel, and I think the media is getting a taste of that now. I understand the media is getting bullied. I, I hope you're not getting bullied by him, Andy. Not yet. Not yet. But I've tried to stay out of it. I've focused mostly on state issues, which, you know, Governor Kelly has no liking to me in any way, shape, or form. But I don't. I haven't really gotten involved in some of the city stuff. But now that I have you on, he's probably not going to like me too much either. You know, I, I, again, we have so many important issues for the city we need to be working. And, you know, a lot of people, they just see the headlines. And, and the, the whole purpose, I would think, of an ethics policy is to go out there to the public and let them know you can trust your public officials. We're, we're doing a good job running this city. Yeah. And I think 
I, I think exactly the opposite happened. Now the perception is we're dysfunctional, we can't get along, we're throwing things at each other like children. You know, they, they don't know who's doing what. And it's just, it's, it's very unfortunate. Um, I think my colleagues are pretty frustrated with it as well. And no. we've got to get back to moving the city forward. I'm really curious, by the way, we're talking with Wichita City Council Member Jeff Bluebaugh here on Candace Talk. I'm really curious as to, does he understand the position as mayor in the city council to where it's not really like, you know, kind of like an executive position like it is in maybe a statewide government level or a federal government level. I mean, it's really just a council and kind of being the organizer of that council with the city council. But outside of that, there's not a whole lot more to that because we didn't seem to have these issues when we had Jeff Longwell in there prior to, when we had Carl Brewer in there prior to, when we had, um, Bob Knight, all the way back when, you know, prior to, but now all of a sudden a former state legislator who was very political, who was very ideological at the statewide level, came in and ended up becoming mayor of the city of Wichita. And now we're seeing a lot of these issues where he wants his own advisory council, where he's trying to set up certain things, trying to limit your guys's power because he's mayor. I mean, is, is he pushing the boundaries of what the mayor mayoral position used to be in the city of Wichita? Andy, the question you're asking, a lot of people are asking me the same question. Normally, a mayor is somebody that's been on the council. They understand the job. They understand how you're serving the city. And I, I just, I, I, I wonder if he didn't have a good idea of what he was really getting into. I, I don't think he realizes each council member has the same power as, as the mayor. The same, you know, we're all elected. We all have the same vote. Um, I guess the only difference in the mayor is they're kind of the mascot and they lead the city. And right. unfortunately, things like this ethics policy, he, he wants to appoint his board. He wants to appoint the appointees. He wants to have control of it. And, and it's another example of where he's trying to exhibit power where there really isn't any power. There's, the mayor really doesn't have any other power than the council. Yeah. No, like you said, just kind of the face of the city council to kind of organize things and, and show up at the press conferences and make the statements for the city council. But outside of that, I mean, asking for a you know his own special advisors and his own special council and trying to appoint based on what he wants uh, really shows that I, I don't quite think he understands the duties of the mayor position in the city of Wichita, plus having the more political ideology driven that he wanted to when he got into the position shows that he's a little bit more, I guess, dangerous in that sense uh, because he's politically driven as opposed to just what's best for the the community so i find that very disturbing and, and it really is hurting the city it, it's hurting city staff it's it's hurting council this this whole if you don't go along with what i say i'm going to have my um people on the internet his um he calls them political assassins i'm going to send my political assassins after you to <laughs> that's you know, what to he calls them you to, 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 uh, that's what he calls them um political assassins. He's going to send them after you to put all this nasty stuff about you on Facebook. And, you know, even when I brought up the memes, any meme they did on me was very, very minor. He jokingly, you know, it told me after he got elected, he did it. It was no big deal on me. But what I didn't like is he's going after every Republican candidate out there. He's going after former Secretary of State Mike Pompeo. He's going after Senator Marshall. We're getting ready to have him on there. You know, we have to go to these people in Washington, D.C. and ask them, to champion issues like like the new water plant, the WIFIA. We've got a half a billion dollar project. We need the federal money on there. We need the no interest for five, ten years, whatever whatever the um, agreement was there. We need things from our other legislators. We can't go out there 
elected should the public wants to do that that's fine elected should not be behind right. going out there and making fun of these people that, that we're working with to move Wichita forward no, well, it's political tyranny. I mean, like you said, if he doesn't like what you do, then he's going to send his cronies out to try and abuse you and attack you because that's what thugs do and that's what a man-child does as well. So he can try and come after me, but I've already seen a lot of it being a talk radio host anyway, so he can say what he wants to. But I'm not going to be uh, you know, hurt over him trying to attack me, and I know you haven't been, and it's just funny because while they try to talk about ethics and trying to raise the morale – they're the ones that try to attack us, which we're really seeing a reflection of that both at the citywide level, apparently, all the way up to the federal government with Democrats on that level as well. we got just about a minute or so left, but I want to shift gears and actually talk about a couple of city issues with you. Uh, as you do talk about some of the programs you're working on, the, the projects these cities working on, how are we doing? And do you see some light at the end of the tunnel as we try to move through this COVID stuff and actually opening the city back up again? You know, I, I really think we are. I think I think we're going to slowly start. To, the numbers are coming down a little bit. Um, every, every indication I've got, we're going to be able to open the ballpark soon. Unfortunately, we're not having a St. Patrick's Day parade in Delano. That would have been great, but maybe a little bit too soon. But I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic by spring and early summer, we're going to start to get, get back and see some normalcy here in Wichita. And most of it is just getting folks back to work. I think a lot of people have had to be dependent on, on the government subsidies and stuff. And hopefully we can kind of get back to where we were at before. It's just amazing to me when you, you drive through Delano, Andy, and see everything that's going on down there. I mean, it's just construction that we've never seen in Wichita before. And yeah. a lot of good things happening. And I'm excited for the city. Um, I, I, I think we're in, a, we're in a good position, but we've, we've got to focus on what's important and, and what really does that would be really nice, and it will be nice to actually open up the baseball stadium here in town as well after having a season of it sitting kind of vacant. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, the baseball stadium, you know, they put that together. We were supposed to have over 250 events a year. So hopefully, you know, people are comfortable coming out again after the vaccinations are out there, after we kind of get through this COVID stuff. People are comfortable getting out there and socializing again. I hope we don't have another big setback, and we get to enjoy some of these amenities that everyone's worked so hard to move forward. Boy, wouldn't that be really nice. City Council Member Jeff Blueball, I appreciate the time, my friend. Keep up the fight. It's unfortunate that we have a leader that just doesn't understand the role and is there for kind of his own little power trip to make himself feel better. But we'll continue on. We'll get to, we'll get through this, and hopefully we can get some good leadership in there as uh, there's a couple really good city council people, with you included, on there that's doing the right thing. So we appreciate the time. Let's do this again here real soon. Let's get another update from you here soon. Thanks. Thank you, Andy. Hey, always appreciate it right there. Absolutely. We appreciate you very much. Yeah, have a great weekend. We'll talk to you again here real soon. That's City Council Member Jeff Blueball. We appreciate that time very much. We'll take a break. We got some calls on the line. I want to get to your thoughts about all this and more as it just gets crazier. You know, the local politics is unfortunate uh, with the direction that it's gone under certain leadership. So we'll get your thoughts on all that and more. Plus, we'll play our interview with U.S. Senator Roger Marshall here on the program, wrapping up the show for a Saturday here on Candace Talk on the Big Talker KQAM. Twenty-five minutes past the hour. Welcome back into Candace Talk right here on the Big Talker KQAM. Thanks again to City Council Member Jeff Bluebaugh coming on the program, talking about the latest and. 
the issues going on with the city. It's unfortunate. It really is unfortunate. I love the city of Wichita. I love the state of Kansas. And to see that kind of leadership just kind of crumble and just be, again, I mean, I know it's it's mean, but the man-child mayor that the city has is unfortunate just for their political agenda, I guess. Let's get your thoughts on it. 316-728-255. Let's go to the phones here. Line number one. Good morning. Who's this? Uh, this is Frederick. Frederick, how are you, my friend? Uh, I am fine. Uh, first of all, uh, Brent, uh, Jeff Blueball, he's one of the finest. He he happens to be my uh, city council member. Good. He's a wonderful man, good man. He stands up for what's right. He's not afraid to say what he feels and et cetera like that. Yeah. But my deal with Brandon Whipple, and I don't think a lot of people have caught this, but at the very beginning, what this man says is, for the flag salute, he says, if you're willing and able to stand up. In other words, if you're willing, if you don't want to stand up for the flag salute, if you want to get down on your knees, go for it. I don't know whether people have caught that or not when he says, if you're willing and able. In other well, words, if you're not willing to... Yeah, he's playing to his crowd. Okay. I mean, he's he's a, he was a former state legislator that was part of the crowd of America's bad and let's go ahead and disrespect the flag and kneel and, you know, burn it or whatever else. I mean, that's his crowd. So he's just kind of playing to that crowd, which is, again, unfortunate. You can do that, I guess, if you're a politician at the statewide level or the federal level, you're trying to make some political points. But as a city council member for a, for a city, you don't need to be going that hard on political agendas like that because it's that's not what that position's all about. I know. You know, uh, and another thing is we have had Democrat uh, mayors before, and they've been fine people. I might not agree with everything, sure. but they're respectful, and, and they're respectful to – they know they're playing to the city that has Republicans, Democrats, independents. And this Whipple guy, good God, this guy is more like a little dictator than anything else. Have you also noticed that they're okay in all of these murals downtown where they want to take sections of buildings <laughs> and put every – Every, um, yeah, apparently we're just going to have murals everywhere downtown. Like, we're just going to make a political statement. Wow. It, it, they're not even just murals of, like, pretty paintings to entertain you, but it's got to be a political message to them. It's got to be the uh, the uh, individual coming, you know, as a refugee or some kind of minority. or so, I mean, it's got to have a, me- a, a purpose of a political point to it as opposed to just like, oh, here's our beautiful downtown. Come and check it out. Apparently, we just want graffiti all over downtown Wichita, which I like murals. They're beautiful, but... You know, 50 years from now, is it going to look the same? And after a while, is that just not going to look the way it does when it's fresh? <laughs> well, not so much that is we are the culture we're living in today is I feel sorry for me because somewhere along the line, maybe it was 100 years ago or whatever it was, somebody didn't like me or somebody said something bad or something like that. I'm always of the opinion and what I've always taught my children that stand up, stand, be proud, just go straight ahead. Don't worry about anything that's happened to you in the past. Well, what matters is what's going on in the future and just stand up, be proud and go straight ahead and don't spend one moment of your life because life is so short. You, my friend, live in the good old days because nowadays you need to be a victim and the only way you can get ahead in society nowadays is if you are a victim and that's what the other side ideologically teaches their children, which is why we have my generation now that likes to play the victim. Don't you see how far elected officials in D.C.? I mean, come on, they're they're now the victim. Frederick? (laughs) Oh, oh, hey, hey, let's see. Uh, she is a she is a joke of a lady. Anyway, Andy, love you.
love you, brother. You take care, and you take care of your family, and you're a wonderful individual, and we just love you here in town. And besides, you really sound good on, on, uh, on uh, that, oh, well, I can't remember what show you're on, but uh, Guns for America, whatever oh. it is. Armed American Radio, we always appreciate it. Frederick, I, I love it. I appreciate it, my friend. You have a great weekend. It's always good to talk to you. we got to take a break here. Got some other calls on the line, so don't go anywhere. we got the lines lit up. We'll get to all of you with open lines when we come back here after the bottom of the hour. Thank you again, Frederick. Everybody, it's Candace Talk right here on the Big Talker KQM. Lots more coming up. Stay here. You're listening to Kansas Talk with Andy Hoosier. Darn right you are. Welcome back into Kansas Talk right here on The Big Talker, 1480 AM, 102.5 FM, KQAM. It goes by fast. Flies right on by. Good golly. Last half hour of the program. Joe Pegg's live with the weekend coming up here in a little bit. Plus, make sure to catch our national broadcast of The Voice of Reason weeknights at 8 p.m. right here on KQAM. We are all over the place, radio, TV, and the live streaming, podcasting, which we're killing it. Thank you for that. We appreciate you all based right here out of Wichita, Kansas, and I love it. I love being back in town. I love being back in the Wichita area, South Central Kansas region, and uh, being back home, back home. So this is the flagship. This is where we rock it each and every day right here on Kansas Talk and The Voice Reason. So thank you for that. We appreciate it. All right, open lines to you. I also have an interview I want to play with U.S. Uh, Senator Roger Marshall here in just a minute. But if you want to comment on the city council issues, it's unfortunate. We have... Uh, We need to focus on, oh, I don't know, priorities right now. We have a COVID pandemic that I know, yes, the county mostly handles with their health department being the health advisors or the health committee or the health board for the county really making the decisions, which I find ironic as we go into Super Bowl Saturday or Super Bowl Sunday tomorrow with the Kansas City Chiefs. Everybody's all excited and ready for that one is the same day that we loosen up restrictions while at the same time everybody's paranoid about the Super Bowl being a super spreader because you're going to go and get together with friends and go hang out and you're just going to spread the virus. And after we just heard the last two weeks that we were doing really well, we're going downhill on all the COVID-19 cases and the and confirmed cases in the state every couple of days that we're reporting. We're going down. It's trending downward like we are nationally. It just miraculously happened after January 20th when Joe Biden took office <laughs> nationwide. It just went down. I mean, didn't help the World Health Organization's like, oh, yeah, we're getting a lot of false positive tests and you really don't need to test that much. So back off on the testing. And then poof, all of a sudden it went down and wow, Joe Biden's a savior. So I found that kind of ironic. Then we see the first child in the state of Kansas passing from the COVID-19 virus, unfortunately. And we see the headline that now deaths are going upward, which is wild. So, of course, probably the scare tactic before the Super Bowl, because they said the same thing during the Thanksgiving break and the Christmas break and the New Year's break, where we're afraid of a super spreader. We're afraid of you getting together with your family and friends. We're afraid of the massive spike in COVID cases, and they never happened. Never happened. They're like, well, that was really nice. People actually abided by them. Or, just throwing it out there, we you know, we just aren't counting it the way we used to now, which is definitely an, op- an option as well. And at the same time, now we read the study that wearing the mask and socially distancing is part of it, but the other part is the fact that it's actually in the air and that they were able to track the spread of the virus and new um, with the contact tracing and the clusters and the new spread of new cases 
based on wind trajectories in the nation to where you could see the wind blowing in certain temperatures and the humidity and the wind direction, and then they could track on exactly where the spread of the virus was actually going to happen. So they found out it's not even you socially distancing, but it's just in the air. And it's going to blow in certain directions, and those people that it's going to get to, uh, they can actually track now and actually figure it out. So the major clusters and the major outbreaks of the virus are not just based on you being negligent and being a jerk for not wanting to people uh, want people to die in the street like they've told you for the last year, really, because you don't want to wear a mask, or maybe you don't wear a mask, or maybe you don't stop going to see family and friends. It's not because of that. It's just because of the environment and the wind with temperatures and humidity and wind direction, and then it blows the virus to another place, and then there's another outbreak. But you're still the jerk because you don't wear a mask. Although, I will say the flu disappeared because you're doing so well wearing the mask and socially distancing, we're not getting the flu. But you're jerks and you're killing everybody because you don't wear masks and don't socially distance because there's still cases of the virus. Oh, I love our health department. It's outstanding. So, we'll see what happens tomorrow. I will say that if the virus was as serious as what they said, then the Kansas City Chiefs, half of the team would not be playing tomorrow, unfortunately, which that's not the case. Don't like start freaking out. But after their barber got tested positive for COVID and one person was potentially exposed, there was a laundry list of players that were about ready to go see the Barbie uh, barber before the football game. And the barber tested positive in any other circumstance in the country. It definitely would have been the situation of, well, they can't play because they were potentially exposed and therefore they cannot be around other individuals. So you know how much money is involved in the Super Bowl when they're like, you know, you probably should be quarantined, but as long as you test negative for the virus for a couple of days in a row, then you'll be fine and you can still play. Because in any other circumstance, if that would have happened at a local bar in Wichita, Kansas, and a bartender uh, tested positive and you were thinking about going to the bar, they probably would have called you and said that you were a potential contact trace and therefore you need to just self-quarantine and not go anywhere for a while. Even if you didn't even go, but you were planning on going and you were walking to the bar and someone called you and said, hey, the bartender tested positive, don't show up to the bar, you need to go home and self-quarantine. That's how crazy they've been dealing with this for the entire year. I don't know why it's any different now for the Super Bowl, but they are. So I'm good because I want to see Patrick Holmes play if you're going to watch the Super Bowl, if you pay attention to that, and if you want to see the team play. So it's good news. I just find it kind of ironic with how the officials are handling the COVID-19 pandemic uh, throughout this time. That's just my personal take. All right, I want to shift gears a little bit. Still open lines to you, but I want to play here. We sat down with uh, our newly elected freshman senator, Roger Marshall, here in the state of Kansas, coming from District Number 1 as a former congressman. We sat down with him just a couple of days ago. We played this on our Voice of Reason national broadcast as well. But this is what he had to say with him going into some new committees. He's on four or five different new committees in Washington, D.C., including the Ag Committee, including Small Business and Entrepreneurship Committee as well, to talk about trying to get small business up and going in the state. And this is what he had to say with the latest out of Washington, D.C. Senator, how are you, my friend? Andy, I'm doing great. Uh, glad to be on this on the show with you. I've uh, got to mention Go Chiefs before we get too much further. <laughs> and by the way, I just found out that we're on the Senate Ag Committee, so that's big news for Kansas. Uh, and and just very, very proud to represent the whole state now. Yeah, amen to that. Congratulations on the election. Congratulations on the Senate Committee appointments that you've gotten because you've gotten on a few of them already, so you're already kicking it off with a a busy schedule, aren't you? Yeah, well, we are. So we did a hearing yesterday on the the Secretary of Agriculture nominee. I was glad to catch up with uh, future Secretary Vilsack, and then today the Secretary of Education nominee uh, sat down on on what's called the Health Committee, uh, and listen to to that uh, young man as well. So we're like you said, we're hard at work. 
uh, trying to slow down some of the attack the attacks on us. I tell you, that's really what this is about right now. We're facing an unconstitutional impeachment hearing. Uh, if you know, President Biden said that he wanted unity, but his actions are just the opposite of it. He's turning the temperature up. This unconstitutional impeachment hearing is turning the temperature up. And now some type of a, of a budget reconciliation bill that is totally partisan as well. Uh, we, and, of course, we haven't even started talking about some of his executive orders yet. It's unbelievable. I mean, we're looking at what near 50 executive orders that he's done over the last few a few weeks of his administration really told you guys not to worry about apparently doing anything. Now we're talking about this massive, almost two trillion dollar COVID-19 relief bill. I've heard that he's taken trying to do like 30 billion dollars worth of money from ag industry, from investing it in ag to trying to do green New Deal ag stuff. I just don't understand. Is there anything we can do to stop some of this? Well, we're working hard on, on that, and we will throw up some wrenches here this afternoon on trying to slow down that whole budget reconciliation project. But but you're right. His executive orders, twice the number of President Obama at this point in time, twice as much as President Trump has ever done. Again, if you wanted to turn the heat up, you would do more and more executive orders just like he's doing. And then the COVID relief package, a blue state bailout uh, that that's basically – Basically, his policy, he didn't ask Democrats for input. He didn't ask Republicans for input. Uh, in addition to bailing out the blue states, there's dollars in there for illegal aliens. He's going to drive up inflation, drive up our, our national debt as well. So it's challenging times. And and we and that's my job here, right? To speak up and push back as hard as I can. Yeah, and that's what you have to do. I know you got a lot of heat from still challenging the Electoral College vote back in the beginning of January after all the protest stuff. And uh, talk about real quick just the environment in D.C. right now. Is it starting to cool down after everything? Or I've, we hear AOC and the crazies on the extreme left really calling out a lot of Republicans for quote unquote inciting the violence. But is, is the temperature calmed down enough to at least start working together a little bit? Well, you know, on the Ag Committee, yes. Uh, the Ag Committee is a pretty special bipartisan committee, uh, and it's a bipartisan issue. Like, everybody likes the heat. But but beyond that, uh, President Biden's actions have turned up the heat here. Mm. Again, the executive orders, uh, this COVID relief package, uh, it, if, if this is his idea of unity, of separating Kansans <laughs> from their jobs, driving up the cost of gasoline at the pump, your electricity bill, and attacking our value. You know, he's attacking the, the, the sanctity of life, every opportunity he gets. Uh, and then, you know, it just feels like our speech is being more and more censored as well. So, I, unfortunately, again, President Biden said one thing, but he's doing another. Talk about, as you mentioned, you're part of the Energy and Natural Resources Committee now as well. We see him stopping the Keystone Pipeline. We see him invading Syria now. We see starting to bring in oil as opposed yeah. to being uh, energy independent like we got to be under Donald Trump, which we worked so hard to do for so long. What's going on there, and are we still doing our own thing here, or are we going to become more and more dependent on foreign oil again? Yeah, you know, if, if people ask me why was our economy so successful in the past four years, I would talk about our tax cuts and rolling back regulations, but a big part of it was our energy independence. And all, all of these uh, executive orders that, that President Biden is doing is going to kill jobs in Kansas and across the country, for that matter, and going to make us more dependent upon foreign oil. Here we had this cheap oil coming out of Canada. We've got refineries set up there in Kansas that can handle that oil. But it, we're going to get our energy somewhere, right? So instead, we're going to be buying it from the Middle East. So so that's a challenge and a problem, and it, it hurts our, our new Secretary of Defense. 
uh, as well as it well was our Secretary of State. So it's a challenge. It's challenging times. Yeah, it's unfortunate. Talking with you, Senator Roger Marshall from the great state of Kansas here. One other committee that you've been on is the Senate Small Business Entrepreneurship Committee. I know you're still getting kind of settled in there, but with COVID over the last year and shutting down a lot of small business, is there concern about too many small businesses closing across the nation? Is there optimism for this year to get things back opened up? How are we looking when it comes to small business? You know, absolutely. Small businesses are the backbone of our country. Uh, you know, they're, 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 if you want to grow jobs, then we need to support small businesses. So number one is we got to get shots in people's arms, which is happening. I'm happy to talk more about that. But I'm very proud of the Paycheck Protection Programs, which have helped save, I think, 500,000 Kansas jobs. And we've appropriated some more money in this last $900 billion package. Most of that money has not hit Main Street yet. So let's see where all these monies we've already appropriated, where they land uh, before we start borrowing more money. The good news is Kansas economy uh, is coming back, the unemployment rate under 5%. Um, we get these shots in people's arms, and this economy is going to be open up again. Amen to that. Last question before we let you go. I know you're on a busy schedule, but the big issue right now in the stock market has been this whole discussion about Robin Hood with the inflation of the stocks for GameStop, AMC. Now they're trying to go after silver as well. What the heck's going right. on here? And is there really going to be some hearings on this issue? Well, we, we want to do what we need to have some hearings. What it feels like is we had Wall Street trying to shut out Main Street. And when, when uh, Robin Hood shut down the opportunity for people like you and me to invest in Wall Street, it felt like the, the playing field was no longer level. Everyone deserves equal access to, to that market. We want to understand why Robin Hood shut it down, why they're trying to work against Main Street, against everyday Joes like us, but yet let the Wall Street billionaires continue to play in the market. So we need to find out what happened there. I think it's one more example, though, of censorship you know, in, in its own way of us, of us commoners, of us uh, folks out here that work for a living. Yeah, wouldn't it be nice? I know a lot of people really wanted to disrupt the system because of that, and they're working hard with that with Robin Hood and the Reddit conversation. So we'll see where it goes. But the fact that they can kind of play with the system, and then when we try to, they get really upset. I mean, a conversation definitely needs to happen there. I'm so excited that you're in the Senate. You've been knocking it out of the park since you've gotten up there. We appreciate everything you do. U.S. Senator Roger Marshall from the great state of Kansas here. Let's do this again real soon, my friend. And you look forward to it. And remember, let's go Chiefs. There it is. Go Chiefs in. That, that's Senator Roger Marshall. We appreciate his time very much. It was funny when we sat down to record that interview, he called up and he was kind of in a hurry because he's a busy guy in the Senate. And he said, I just got off the air with Sean Hannity and now I'm ready to do you, Andy, and I'll move on to my next committee hearing. So it was great. We had a short amount of time and we'll get him back on the program here hopefully again real soon to get another update from the U.S. Senate. We'll take a break. Open lines to you for the last few minutes of the program as we begin to wrap up today on a Saturday here on Kansas Talk on the Big Talker KQAM. Back into Kansas Talk right here on the Big Talker KQAM. Last segment, it goes by way too fast, about eight minutes to the top of the hour. If you're looking forward to Joe Pags live with the weekend here on KQAM, make sure to stay tuned in for that. Great programming all day long here on KQAM. I'll be back on Monday evening at 8 p.m. here on the KQAM Airways for the Voice of Reason. Stay tuned in for that one. Until then, we got about eight minutes for you to call in at 316-721-8255. 316-721-TALK, all presented by Phil's Coins at 9344 West Central Avenue. They are open right now until 2.30 this afternoon, so make sure to go and check them out. And for your buying and selling needs for your gold and silver. So there's a few issues 
I want to briefly touch on before we kind of wrap up the show today. But I love as of Monday, February 1st, headline from the Topeka Capital Journal, Kansas sees fewer than 2,000 new COVID-19 cases, which was the first time that we saw fewer than 2,000 new COVID-19 cases since like November, October. It was ridiculous. It was a long time when they're like, oh, in our three-day period, we didn't see more than 2,000 COVID-19 cases. So they're on the downtrend. Things are doing really well. Then we just see, according to yesterday with the Topeka Capital Journal, Kansas sees a major rise in COVID-19 deaths. What the heck, man? What the heck? Now, last time we saw a major spike in COVID-19 deaths, it was because that there was a lack of reporting and like all of the hospitals reported at the same time from like the last month or so. And there was a major spike. I don't know if that's the case this time or not. But as the COVID-19 vaccine continues to be distributed and Governor Kelly says and the KDHE says that everything's going well when it's been just atrocious and we're reported number 47 in the entire nation for the number of vaccines being distributed per 100,000 individuals. Yeah, we're number 47. Think about that while Governor Kelly's like, we're doing really well and everything seems to be going really great. And, oh, it's just a wonderful distribution plan and things are going. We just don't have enough of the vaccine coming into the state of Kansas. While she's saying that, we're also number 47 in the nation. So either we're just getting way less than like anybody else, which I don't know why we would get way less than anybody else. Or we're just not getting it out because we don't have a whole lot of communication and we're just kind of dropping the ball on some things. The state legislature has been a little concerned with that, as we talked with Brenda Landwehr last week, state representative, and she pretty much said the same thing. There's no communication between the KDHE and local health departments across the state and then trying to get it out. Now, Walmart and Kroger pharmacies are uh, starting to get the vaccine. I heard a rumor that the Walmart and or Kroger pharmacies, some of them in the state, will be getting the vaccine as early as this coming up week. So that's good news for some if you choose to get the vaccine. And I know that once people are registered, there's a lot of people registered waiting for the vaccine. We just don't have enough right now, and we're just waiting on more of them. So we'll see what happens. But now we see a spike in deaths. Why? Why are we seeing a spike of deaths and what's going on? Is it just because we're negligent and we're just being the jerks wanting to kill people because we don't want to wear our masks? Or is it something different? Now, we did hear that the new strain of the virus from the UK, you can say UK, you can't say China virus, according to Joe Biden, but you can say the UK virus, the UK strain of the virus. That one has been confirmed here in the state of Kansas in Ellis County. They also said that it should be up in the Kansas City area. So it's only a matter of time until it comes down here to South Central Kansas. Does that mean we're going to tighten up the restrictions on the uh, opening of the bars, restaurants and nightclubs? Because remember, you will die if you go to a bar past 10 or 1 p.m. Then it was 11.01 p.m. Now it's at 12.01 p.m. starting tomorrow night, which I know everybody's going to be excited with the Super Bowl going on in the Kansas City Chiefs. So many people may be going to the bars, restaurants, and nightclubs to watch the game. But if you stay out past 12.01 p.m., then you will die from COVID-19 because that's what they want to tell you. (laughs) I don't know why you could be there at 11 o'clock, but you can't be there till midnight. Doesn't make any sense to me, but there you have it. They're also increasing the capacity to 75% to the restaurants and bars as well to allow more people in at the same time that the Super Bowl is happening. So that's good news. I'm not complaining about that because the small business might be able to actually survive and get some revenue back tomorrow with the game going on and everybody excited about that. So that's cool. But when are they going to lock it back down again? When are they going to stop you from doing it? Because now deaths are up, even though cases may not be going up, deaths are going up and we need to lock everything back down again. So have your fun because we're going to shut you down again. 
I sense that coming. we got about 45 seconds before we wrap up the show, but let's try and squeeze in one more phone call here, shall we? Good morning. Who's this? Good morning, Andy. It's Nick. How are you? I'm doing great, brother. you got about 45 seconds. It's all yours. All right. All your listeners, go to the YouTube page, the House and Children Seniors uh, Committee hearing that was done on February 1st, 2021, and listen to Dr. Lee Norman starting at hour one, minute two, and then especially at hour one, minute eight, and you will hear some fascinating information as regards to uh, what is really going on. And the um, you mean in terms of like COVID vaccine distribution, uh, vaccine distribution, new world order, um, oh. all kinds of fun uh, little stuff going on in there. Just have them take a look at it and um, we'll kind of understand really what's going on. If we had more time, I would explain it to you better. But uh, you're oh running for House, House Children and Seniors, February 1st, 2021. Uh, Dr. Lee Norman starting at hour one, minute two. Paul Wag, Representative Wagner is asking questions. And then, so, anyway, take care, Andy. Good to see you. Uh, Nick, I appreciate that. I have a lot to watch this weekend. Apparently, I'll watch that, plus Mike Lindell's new video on the election fraud stuff. Uh, so, there's a lot to get to, and we'll recap all that next week. Until then, everybody have a great weekend. I'm Andy Hoosier. This is Kansas Talk on you know KQAM.